Hello, Googleization Nation, and welcome to Culture and the Future of Workplace Culture, a GGG Unleashed podcast with thought leaders, Human Works 8. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. In each of Human Works 8's episodes, we will cover practical insights, tips, and executable activities to get you thinking about the future of culture development in your organization. Let's begin. Welcome, friends. My name is Sean Gallius, and I'm the Thought Catalyst with HumanWorks 8. And you are listening to Culture and the Future of Workplace Culture, part of the GGG Geeks, Geezers, Googleization Unleashed series. And remember, now that I'm unleashed, let's fly. I hope you join me each and every month as we think about culture and culture and people, culture and strategy, culture and teamwork, culture and mattering. If you're a business founder, HR leader, or simply passionate about strong organizational culture, join me in wondering about what's ahead to build strong business cultures that spark engagement and align people around shared values and purpose. I promise you'll leave every month with some new thoughts and some tangible tools to guide your cultural journey and aid in bringing this thing we call aliveness to your organization. Are you ready to bring work to life and life to work? I am. Let's go. You might have heard Sarah Marshall, a member of the Human Works team, join me in episode five. Well, today I wanted to talk about culture and well-being. And I can tell you that Sarah has taught me a thing or two about both as well as when you are looking at culture and well-being, having a plan is really important. And Sarah is the number one leader on planning. In our thinking, we link culture and well-being to our belief that everyone thrives. So I brought back Sarah with me for this conversation about our experiences and expertise with well-being in the workplace. I'm back. Hi, Sean. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited for this conversation today. I put together a few questions for you that I think will help business and people leaders as they look at how to champion people through workplace well-being. And you know that I'll chime in with my own answers, too. I sure hope so. <laughs> I want to start with a few call-outs, though. At HumanWorks 8, we say well-being. You might call it wellness or something else. But whatever you call it, be intentional and be consistent. We also don't talk about well-being as a plan, even though I'm a great planner, or a separate initiative of the business. We talk about creating and nurturing a culture of well-being across an organization. And I have more on that in just a bit. And when I said you and planning, I meant you were very intentional about taking deliberate actions that impact a culture through a well-being look and view and outlook. Would you agree? Absolutely. Fantastic. I would only add also, well-being considerations and actions are always a part of any cultural initiative because bottom line, a business culture must support the well-being of its employees. It's the pulse of the organization. The need to find that well-being link is critical no matter what your initiative or focus is. I fully agree, Sean. Are you ready to get to these questions? Ready. Awesome. So this question is important for leaders who are feeling like they're behind or stuck with well-being at their organization. But if you're an award-winning well-being workplace like we've been in the past, we want you to listen up too, because this is really an opportunity for everyone. The question, what's the foundation of well-being for an organization? Where does leadership draw the strategy for well-being from? 
The answer, values. Where is well-being in your organization's core values? It's got to be there. You've got to find the link. If it's not directly in the language, how can you tie it in through the explanation of that value? For example, our award-winning culture use the value be well, work well, live well. Wow, says it all. For Human Works 8, our well-being value is breathe. I can tell you, I live that value every single day. And you might find it funny, of course, Sean, you're breathing. But it's also taking that moment. And also, sometimes when I say it's practicing that pause to take a breath before response, to take a breath before sharing idea, to take a breath to really listen to somebody else, all well-being elements. It's got to be linked to your core values. When we work with companies to elevate their core values, we make them more unique, gutsy, and actionable. But we focus on three things that are very unique to us. We call them the indispensables. The first is the life, the unique individuals who bring your company to life. The touch, who are you trying to impact in the world? But for this conversation, our core value may be breathe, but the indispensable is the breath. How are you focusing on the well-being of every life? How do you keep that pulse that I mentioned before strong across the humanscape of your people? Now, people expect that. What is my organization helping me to do to be able to be at my best in the workplace? That's well-being. Exactly. I love our core value of breathe here at Human Works 8. It really is central to who we are, and it has well-being written all over it. I'm actually, Sean, wearing a bracelet that you gave me that says breathe on the inside of it, just to, to keep that as a constant reminder. And yes, when I asked this question, I said that leadership defines the strategy here. So another thing to keep in mind, it's not the well-being intern or the HR team or even the wellness committee. It's all about leadership. So Sean, what does an organization or an organization's leadership need as part of a well-being strategy? What are other non-negotiables? Well, first of all, focusing on leadership. I believe leadership have to be role models. And that may seem a little old-fashioned, leaders being role models. But I believe that when you're looking at well-being, it's very personalized and not one-size-fits-all. So leaders have to be vulnerable and sharing in how they achieve and what they do for their own personal well-being. If they create that space and sharing, that allows me as a team member or a direct report to find my way to share support I need in order to achieve that perspective on well-being. You touched on this already, but leaders, ownership, to engage there needs to be a, a philosophy, though. What are your foundational pieces? I've seen well-being programs that have 8, 12, 15 different elements of well-being. And sometimes I think the whole concept of well-being gets lost in that many. I prefer a simpler and clearer foundation. The one we use, I know you're familiar with it, we call it our four pillars. Purpose, balance, nutrition, and movement. That sums up all of it. When I think of it, if I can think about my own personal life and what I need for my well-being, it comes around my sense of purpose, 
what parts of my life need balance, whether it's financial balance, spiritual balance, just life balance, maybe it's a fitness balance. And then nutrition and movement. What are you doing? What do I need for my own healthy nutrition? And what does movement to keep my body active look like for me? But one thing I don't need, don't incentivize me to be well. No more incentives. When I feel like I can earn a gift certificate for doing a walk, that's not going to stay with me. I need to find my own personal way into that. One thing I, you know, I use a lot is I use that whole choose your own adventure approach. I think well-being is an ongoing, lifelong adventure. And I know times in my life, I try different things along the way that suit me in that moment. Uh, it's not going to be a gift certificate. It's going to be something that links to my purpose, my own personal values that drives me to take deliberate action. So no wellness points for you, Sean? Oh, please stop <laughs> counting points. <laughs> well, I, I bring that more tactical perspective too. And I think it also needs activations that teach and empower. I think a wellness strategy needs some sort of ambassador, envoy, or champion to really bring well-being to life, bring, bring engagement to life. It needs some celebration. And I also like to add family considerations or, or who's at home with you. One story that I want to share to expand on this comment about leaders owning well-being. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you remember this story, but we were in a room with about 50, over 50 directors, directors, VPs, you name it. The business owners at this organization wanted this meeting. They wanted this meeting quarterly, and they were present at this meeting. And we were talking about well-being. I specifically remember one individual, one of these leaders from revenue management, maybe, so a numbers guy, sitting there kind of looking at everybody and, and kind of interrupted and said, hey, think about how expensive this room is, how much it costs for all of us to be in this room right now having this conversation about well-being. He said, I'm just, I'm not going to do the math here, but I, I would guess that based on the amount that, that this meeting is costing us, well-being is really important here at this organization. So that story will always kind of stick with me. There was no number crunching done. We didn't look at it from that perspective, but the leaders really began to recognize that well-being was an imperative at the organization. And that was a huge moment for me. I would add, I believe in that same meeting or one previous or soon after, I challenged that group at the same time. They were very proud of our wellness initiatives and things we did. But I also said, what are you doing to role model this? Are you expecting Sarah, HR, whatever the team is to own that? And I really pushed them to think about what was their role in creating a culture of well-being. And I think that is a big challenge for organizations. How do you engage leaders? Um, but Sean, I was gonna ask you about the other biggest challenges that organizations really have to overcome when it comes to creating a culture of well-being. So can you talk to me a little bit about engagement in well-being activities and strategies? I think it looks different from everyone. And that's why I believe organizations try too often to do a well-being one-size-fits-all. And I think you and I both know what would interest you or what you need yourself, Sarah, is quite different from what's going to excite me or get me to try some new movement or nutritional area. And that's really important. I believe 
it has to be a lot of different opportunities so that people can find and create their own journey. So, for example, um, some use an employee assistance program for their own mental health journey or support in a legal situation. Others may not need that, but you need to share the full breadth of what an EAP program can offer so people can find their ways into it. It is hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes to, to figure out what exactly they need for well-being. So I think about how can well-being initiatives work for people with varying physical abilities, mental illness, pregnant women, nursing moms, caregivers, you name it. Uh, how is well-being different across race or ethnicity, across age, gender? That is just a, that's a big challenge that organizations face. And this is where that different entry points come in is really critical. Having different offerings across those pillars of purpose, balance, nutrition, and movement. Financial investment is also, it, it shouldn't really be sort of a, a myth, financial investment in an organization's well-being, that is. So creating and modeling well-being in the workplace does not have to break the bank. In fact, it really shouldn't. Being well doesn't mean that everyone gets a free lunch, a treadmill desk, and a fitness tracker, right? I mean, that would be nice, <laughs> but I remember being told to spend more money. It was, we want to invest more in well-being, and how do we do that? That was actually a challenge for me. And I think it starts with it starts with relationships, connection, and some basic goal setting. And then you can figure out where to spend some money if you have it and if you want to. But but I don't think it needs to be a significant investment up front. Would you agree, Sean? I would agree. In the well-being community, there are so many people with well-being expertise that think abundantly about sharing that with people because people in that community want to help people. It's not necessarily, yes, do I believe they should be compensated fairly? Yes, but at the same time, it's such a give back community that I know you did such great outreach in the community to find people that really just wanted to share best tactics to help others do a better job in thriving in their life. Definitely. I'm excited to talk more about this next question, Sean. What has been the most effective well-being strategy that you have been a part of? Well, you know, looking back, there is one when people ask me that question or they say, what is something that we could try or do? And everybody wants something they've ever heard of. And I have to go back to something. And I don't know who named it this. It was probably you, Sarah. We called it 5252. Why 5252? Well, what it started was around back thinking when I challenged those leaders about their role in the culture of well-being at the organization. And I said, no more leaders. No more is Sarah responsible, is Sean responsible, is HR responsible, is a certain committee or team. I said, beginning next week, someone in this room is responsible. And guess how many people were in that room? About 52. And I said, moving forward, every week, one of you leaders is going to own that week of well-being. And you are going to role model, teach, share, be vulnerable about what do you do to support your own thriving in life and in the workplace. And I can tell you, at first, there were a lot of dumbfounded stares, like, what? What? My well-being? But then... I could see people light up and say, wow, this gives me a, as an opportunity as a leader to live our core value around being well, working well, and living well. 
and then sharing and sort of breaking down my defenses to create a safe space for others to join in, to learn from, to create their own path and journey into their well-being. It was fantastic. And I bet you're going to share a little bit more around what some of those initiatives and some of those weeks looked like. We were just talking last week about how that 5252 initiative created connections with the CFO at the organization, who, of all things, was a scrapbooker. We also had workshops and sessions focused on knitting, on canning jams, on all sorts of different things around those different pillars of purpose, balance, nutrition, and movement. And one of the outcomes that I really loved from 5252 is um, the also very originally named 1212, which followed a year later. It was a result of team members across the organization seeing these leaders take a take a step forward and really teach, engage, share their knowledge and their passions around different areas of well-being team members were stepping up and they were saying, how could I participate in that? I'm not in a director level role, but I could share something about how I paint or I could share something about how I read music. And I think that was the almost the best part about that initiative. But I do think we have to get better with maybe naming those initiatives. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I like simple and clear <laughs> is better. And I think that's can give everybody that's listening. 5252 was a big jump. We had something new each week, and that may be a lot to take on. You might start with a certain group of leaders or certain teams and make it once a month, a 12-12 kind of view, or even every two months. The first year you do six. But I do think you'll find it'll be like a well-being snowball that'll keep collecting and growing, and more people will be able to see themselves as role modeling well-being in the workplace. That really changed our culture. Bottom line, it was never the same again. That's right. It really did change our culture. I also really loved working on the annual well-being celebrations. They were sort of like the Super Bowl mm -hmm. of well-being, culminating many activations, vendors, components of the philosophy, and family, all into one engaging celebration. One favorite part was seeing executives bring their families and try things outside of their comfort zone, like pound mm -hmm. um, with drumsticks on yoga mats or trivia. It also gave spouses the chance to connect one-on-one -on -one with members of the benefits team. And sometimes that is so critical because the spouse is the one managing finances or health records or paperwork. And we, in fact, just heard a story from a client about that where um, an individual from the HR team was helping a family member of an employee through um, a very tough end of life benefits navigation. So being able to connect with family members is, is a really big deal for well-being initiatives. And it really aligns around many people's reason for well-being and purpose. It's to really support and to be there for families, partners, loved ones. That is a driving force in many people's lives. So I'm glad you emphasized again the family and having some celebration activity where the family gets to come to work and celebrate in that well-being atmosphere. Sarah, you've been asking me a lot of questions. How about I ask you one? Sure. What do you think is missing from well-being strategies or something you think could really elevate well-being at any organization? 
That's a great question. So let me circle back to something I mentioned in the very beginning of this episode. We've been talking about creating a culture of well-being with these ideas in mind. But maybe you're at a point in your culture where well-being is pretty good. People are engaged. You have some good programming and initiatives in place. But let me ask this. Have you reviewed your employee handbook through a well-being lens? Think about time off, bereavement, business travel policies. Does your recognition program champion people who are modeling healthy choices? Or perhaps those who stay up really late sending emails and never really take a lunch? And do the rewards promote healthy choices and experiences? And how is your organization's well-being philosophy reflected in the recruiting and hiring process? Is the candidate experience congruent with the new hire experience and beyond? These questions are just examples of how you can continue to make well-being part of your organization's culture. It's weaving well-being into the different people touch points of your business. And I know we can't leave you hanging on that, so please check out the show notes for a tool that we have to help you look at those touch points and guide you through elevating your culture of well-being through new strategies tied back to them. That's fantastic. Of the tools that you've been you know, really eyeing and helping organizations look at and use, just some frameworks, like we've said, are really important in order to, to be able to take that first step. Absolutely. So last question. Already? Sean, already. What do you do, Sean, for your own well-being? And if there was one thing that you would do differently to support your well-being, what would it be? Wow. I'm going to have to really go internal for this. Well, I think you know, Sarah, when I approach my well-being, especially from a, a movement and working out perspective, the coaches I seem to find, I need a coach. I need somebody to drive me to keep me on task or I get distracted. That's important to me. Sometimes I will invest in that because I know I need it and it helps me. And then on top of needing a coach or a guide, I also need somebody that brings me variety in their approach. I can't do the same thing every week. Sometimes I can't do the same thing every hour I work. So something that takes that approach, that really motivates me and it surprises me and it brings that sense that I want to go back and try again. I need that. I know that. So that's one thing I look for for my own. And your second question, what would I do differently? Well, you know, one thing that I know that I really value in life and part of my well-being is to have what I call escapes. I need time away. And sometimes I get tied down in business so much and thinking so much that um, I use a lot of escapes. I, I hold on to my value close, but I always think where can I find, even if it's a five minute escape, or it doesn't have to be necessarily a week, but find those moments where I can escape into something else, get my mind off things so I can come back and be in a better place, more focused. Those are two things that come to mind. Those escapes are really important. And I laugh because you said you need variety in your in your well-being. And I think I, I thrive a little bit more on routine. So it's really establishing those sleep routines, the exercise routines. And the one thing that I think my whole family could get better with is sort of that meal prep routine. So I'm looking forward to maybe doing a little bit more of that soon. I'm sure I could learn more from you about that. <laughs> Somebody asked me today, what is my uh, my least favorite meal of the day? And I knew when I answered it, it was totally against most well-being thinking. It's very controversial. <laughs> because I said, I don't like breakfast. I don't make time for it. And I know 
that is critical for my body. Um, so I need to work on that. So there's another improvement. And a great uh, well-being activation idea, making breakfast or preparing breakfast as a, as a team, as a group. I love that. Well, Sarah, thank you for being here today. I can't, I, you know, I can't thrive without you. I believe you know that. But um, I am grateful for all of your passion and energy around well-being and part of our eight philosophy around everyone thriving. Thanks, Sean. I had a lot of fun today. I could talk about well-being for hours, so you'll have to kick me out. <laughs> never, never. Let's keep talking. But if you want to keep talking, reach out to continue this conversation. You can find myself or Sarah on LinkedIn. I'm Sean at HumanWorks8.com and Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at HumanWorks8.com. And then just go on to HumanWorks8.com for other real-life examples. I look forward to every month focusing on a new culture and topic. And if I got you wondering about everyone thriving and culture, I encourage you to keep it going on LinkedIn. I also, every Wednesday, I wonder about something. I call it Wondering Wednesdays. I would love you to join in on that dialogue. Sometimes it's a client challenge. Sometimes it's been about well-being and balance. Sometimes it's just like we talked about specific client examples today from a meeting this morning. Come wonder with me and see you next month on Culture and the Future of Workplace Culture. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and learning about the future of workplace cultures. We'll be back next month with HumanWorks 8 for another episode. But until then, please visit their website for additional resources at humanworks8.com. Until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.